We've been in this series where hopefully we've been reminded of just how great God is. The series called The Wonder of God. And this series, the purpose of this series is to help us reacquaint ourselves, to remind us of who God is. And as I said last week, I've not been preaching this series on the attributes of God from a theological perspective as much as from a practical perspective. But to this point, here, here's what we've talked about in some shape, form, or fashion, whether I've talked a lot about it or a little about it. But we've talked about the fact that God is sovereign, that he is the supreme ruler over all of the universe, that he is large and in charge. He answers to nobody and to no one. And we've talked about how that God is faithful. Has anybody here today experienced the faithfulness of God, that God is true, God is true to his word to do what he says that he's going to do. He's faithful, you can depend on him, you can trust him. And then we've talked about the omnipotence of God. That means that God is all powerful, all powerful. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. And we, we started this series talking about the goodness of God, that God is good. And that God can even bring good out of the bad circumstances and situations of our life. And only God can do something like that. We've talked about how that God is omniscient, omniscience. He is all-knowing. That, that doesn't mean that God is just real smart. It means he knows everything. And it's not because he read a book. He just knows. He is He is. Um, all-knowing. All he, he knows everything. You've heard me say it over and over. He, he knows the, the hairs that are on our head, but not because he counted. He just knows. He just has that kind of knowledge. We've talked about how that God is merciful, and I'm thankful that God is merciful, that God let us live when we deserve to die. Amen? When we deserve to go to hell, God in his mercy loved us enough to provide a way by which we didn't have to go there. And then we've talked about the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere all the time. That's why I laugh sometimes when people tell me, you know, about how they're running from God. You can't run from God. If you're trying to run from God, you might as well just go ahead and give up today. Because wherever you run to, he's there. You're going to bump into him. You're going to run into him. Everywhere you go, he's an omnipresent God. And then last week, we talked about the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? And God's grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven, but we don't get it because we deserve it. It's unmerited favor. It's unlimited favor. And it's the grace of God. And God doesn't just extend grace. God is grace. God doesn't just extend mercy. He is mercy. God doesn't just extend love. He is love. God is all of these things. But now here's where a problem can come in if we're not careful. We look at this and we say, well, if God is all of these things... If God is sovereign, and these are just a few of his attributes, if God is sovereign and faithful and all-powerful and good and all-knowing and merciful and everywhere present and gracious, if God is all of that, if God is that big, then the last thing God needs is me. And a lot of people, 
A lot of people get the thinking that if it's going to happen, it's going to be all God. I mean, if God is all of these things, then what is my part? And so today I want to talk to you about the wonder of God's partnership. And you'll understand that title a little bit more before you leave today. The wonder of God's partnership. Now, when you look at the word partnership, the word partnership just simply means that both people have a part. And so what we need to understand today is even though God is all of those things, God has his part, but we also have our part. And so I want to give you a few things this morning that I think will clarify and help us better understand the wonder of God's partnership. And let's begin with this point right here, and that is that God doesn't need anything. Did you know that? God doesn't need anything. As you continue to study the attributes of God, you discover a few more things about him. And a few other things that you discover about God is this, and that is that God is completely self-existent. Unlike us, who the Bible says, in him we live, in him we breathe, in him we move, in him we have our being. You and I, we cannot exist apart from God. Jesus compared it to a a, a limb, a branch that's been disconnected from the vine. And he said that if we're disconnected from the vine, which is the source of life, then we're only fit for the fire because we know that a limb that's been broken off from the tree has been disconnected from its source. And so it cannot live. You and I, apart from Christ, we are nothing. We can't do anything. But God is self-existent. We could say it like this. God is eternal. God has always been, always is, and always will be. He is eternal. No one created God. If God could have been created, he wouldn't be God. He's God because he has always existed. But not only is he self-existent, he is also self-sufficient. God doesn't need you and I to do anything for him. And the reason why, get this, the reason why God doesn't need us to do anything for him is because God doesn't have any needs. God is self-sufficient. But not only is he self-sufficient, he is also self-sustaining. God doesn't need us to keep him going. Hey, God can keep himself going. He is self-sustaining. And, and did you know that there is a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that verifies this, that God is self-existent, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining? And it's in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. We're going to look at it here in just a minute. But let me give you a little bit of background about this Scripture before we look at it. Because just before we get to the passage we're going to look at, Paul, we discover is in a place called Athens, Greece. Now let me tell you something about Athens, Greece in Paul's day. In Paul's day, Athens, Greece was the cultural center of Greece. You've heard of great philosophers like, like Plato and, and, and great philosophers like Aristotle. Uh, some of those, maybe you've not heard of some others like Epicurean or, or Zeno. Epicurean was the founder of, of a philosophy called Epicureanism. And Zeno was the, the founder of a philosophy called Stoicism. And that permeated, those philosophies permeated the culture of Athens in Paul's day. 
But not only was it the cultural center of Greece, it was also the religious center of Greece. And so what you would discover in Paul's day is when you would walk around Athens, you would see all kinds of idols because they were idolaters. They worshiped many different gods. And so Paul is kind of walking around Athens and he's noticing all of their idols. And then suddenly he notices an altar. And on that altar are inscribed these words, to the unknown God. In other words, they had all of these idols that they had named that they had some knowledge of or thought they had knowledge of. But they would also acknowledge that there is this supernatural power. That there, there, there is this God that, that we just haven't been able to, to track down, that, that, that we've not been able to comprehend. And so all they could do was build an altar and inscribe on that altar to the unknown God. And so Paul steps up and here's what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, he said, God who made the world and everything in it. Now that flew in the face of their philosophy because they didn't believe in creation. They, they believed more in a, an evolution philosophy than in a creation philosophy. And so Paul begins by saying, this God that you've, you've inscribed on the altar, that he's an unknown God, I'm going to help you get to know him. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. It's amazing to me how Paul can just take two passages of Scripture here and, and prove to them or show them or give them a knowledge of this God. And, and here's what's crazy. They were very religious people. They, they had all kind of temples. They had all kind of places of worship. They, they had all kind of idols that they worshiped. They were very religious people, but they didn't know God. That don't sound anything like our culture today, does it? That we've got a culture full of religious people, but people who don't really know who God is. A real knowledge of God. And so he says he made the, the world and everything in it. And then he said, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Oh, you can't confine God to a building. You can't put God in a box. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You cannot confine the presence of God. That's why I don't have to go to California to Bethel Church to experience the presence of God. I don't have to go to Houston, Texas to Joel Osteen's church to experience the presence of God. I don't have to go to Free Chapel where a good friend of ours, Jensen Franklin, pastors, and I love Jensen, but I don't have to go there to experience the presence of God. I don't have to go to Church of the Highlands in order to experience the presence of God. Why? Because you cannot confine the presence of God to a particular place. God is everywhere. The difference is do we have an awareness of his presence everywhere? So he says he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but he does dwell in this temple made by him. Amen. And then notice what it says. He says, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He is self-sufficient. 
He has no needs. Therefore, he doesn't need us running errands for him because he has no needs. Since, notice, he gives all life, breath, and all things. In other words, he's the one who sustains us. But he himself is self-sustaining, self-existent. But notice, he's the one who gives all life, all breath, and all things. You know what that means, all things? It means that he's the one who satisfies every need, every physical need, every spiritual need, every emotional need. God is the one who satisfies. And if you're trying to find satisfaction somewhere else other than in a relationship with God, you will never find that satisfaction. It can only be found in a relationship, in a partnership with God. So point number one, God doesn't need anything. Point number two, God decided to need you. And God decided to need me. God decided. He chose. He didn't have to. He didn't really need to. But God chose to partner with us. He have a part and us have a part. God chose to cooperate with us. An operation that takes two people. Cooperation. God wanted to form a co-op with us. So God chose, God decided to need us. And listen, it's been like that since the very beginning of time. And you see it all the way through the Bible. As a matter of fact, I challenge you today to leave this place. Go home, get in your Bible and find where God ever did a great work apart from doing it through people. Because he always partners with someone. And if he can't partner with someone, he will partner with something like a donkey. You remember that story of Balaam. When God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. So, so you see, not only does it amaze me that God chooses to partner, but it amazes me who he chooses to partner with. I mean, when you go back and read scripture and you read some of the men and women that God chose to use, think about Rahab, a harlot. That's how she is identified. Even in the family tree of Jesus, Rahab the harlot, but God was able to use her. Think about David. Philip's already mentioned it this morning. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. So not only does it amaze me that God chooses to partner with us, it amazes me that he chooses to partner with people like us. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, aren't you thankful for that? Now that doesn't mean we're special. It means God is special. Let, let, let me show you how from the very beginning of time, Genesis 2 and 19 says, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever called each living creature that was its name. Now I want you to notice what God did. God did what only he could do. He created the animals. Adam couldn't do that. God did what he could do, but then he says, I want Adam to be a part of this. So I'm going to partner with him. And so he said, okay, Adam, your job now is to name all the animals. That's why the hippopotamus is the hippopotamus. 
Because Adam looked at that animal and says, looks like a hippopotamus to me. So he named it a hippopotamus. Now, now God did not have to do that. God could have said, come here, son, come here. You see that animal over there with a hump on its back? That's a camel. And, 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 and some camels even have two humps on their back, but, but, but those are camels. And, and, and son, do you see that animal over there with that long nose that looks like a hose and, and, and real fat? That, that's an elephant. You see, God could have done that. But God did what he could do and only what he could do. And then he invited Adam to partner with him. Now, I do find it interesting that God creates all of the animals. Then he has Adam to name those animals. And then, thirdly, he creates Eve. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. He was afraid that if Adam and Eve both were trying to name those animals... It would not have ended well. But understand, there's still no sin in the garden, so I'm sure that they could have agreed on what the names of those animals would be. But I think that the reason why, and this is just my opinion, why God waited until after Adam named the animals before he created Eve is because he knew how distracting Eve would be to Adam. I mean, let's face it, the first time that Adam saw Eve, he buckled at the knees and he was like, whoa, man, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And from that moment, he couldn't hardly take his eyes off of her. Now, can you imagine if she had been around and God had told him, okay, I want you to name the animals. He would, he would have probably had to say, hey, Adam, Adam, over here, over here. Look, look at me, Adam. Look at me. Look at me. Stop looking at her. Look, look at me, Adam. Look at me. I told you yesterday, name the animals. You named three. A black bird, a red bird, and a blue bird. I mean, come on, Adam. Listen to me. Focus here. I, that's just my opinion. Because he knew how distracting it would be. But you see how that God chose to partner with Adam. Let, let, let me show you from the New Testament in Mark chapter 6. This is where Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And they have a hard time accepting him as the Messiah. Because they've always seen him as Joseph and Mary's little boy that grew up among us. And, and notice, it said that when he got to Nazareth, he could do no mighty work there. Now look at that. He could do no mighty work. Now, now everywhere else Jesus had gone, he was able to do mighty works. But in Nazareth, he was not able to do any mighty work. Even though he had all power in heaven and earth, that power was limited. What was it that limited his power? Notice, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. Do you notice what God is doing here? God is limiting his unlimited power to our faith. He wants to partner with us and when you and I have faith, 
and we pray and we believe in faith. When we do what we can do, then God will do what only God can do. Amen? And God will do the wonder. And God will do the miracle. And God will do the healing when you and I do what we're supposed to do. When we do our part, then God's part is then released. Let, let, let me show you another example of this. This is in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. And you know this story well, that a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines. His name was Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A cubit is 18 inches. So 18 times six is nine feet. Then you have a span. A span is six inches. So this guy was nine feet, six inches tall. He's nine and a half feet tall. And notice what Goliath does. He stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? And then he says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now notice he's talking to the people of God here. And he's saying, send a man. If I whip him, then all of you become our slaves. If he whips me, then all of us become your slaves. And notice what happens. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, is it possible that behind the scenes of this, there was a conversation going on between God and Satan? And, and, and could it be that, that Satan is saying to God, God, I've got you figured out. I, I've figured out how you work. I, I've gone back and I've seen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Noah. I've seen all of how, how you do your work, that you choose to partner with men or women and, and women. You choose to partner with people. And then he said, I've also seen that even though you have unlimited power, that you have limited your power to the level of their faith. And so God, look at what I've done. I've, I've got you figured out. I've got you figured out. Because there's not a man on the other side of this ridge, on the other side of this valley, on the other side of this valley that has the guts enough to come over here and face. He said, what I've done is the opposite of faith. I've struck fear in their hearts. Now, you, here's something you've got to remember. You've got to remember that Satan is not all-knowing. Satan does not know what's going to happen in the future, but God does. So this moment did not catch God by surprise. And so, so you've got Satan saying, I got you now, God. I got you now. I figured out how you work. There's, there's not a man over there with guts enough. I put such fear in their heart. There's not a man over there with guts enough to come and fight my man. And I believe here's what God said back to Satan. I believe he said this. He said, Satan, I saw this coming. And I've been planning for this day. And Satan, you need to know something. I don't need a man. I got a boy. And I've got a boy that I've been preparing over in a pasture through a lion and a bear with a slingshot and a few stones. And you know what David did? David partnered with God that day and destroyed Goliath and 
wiped out those Philistines in that battle. Why? Because God did what only God could do and David did what David could do. Did you know it's the same way when it comes to us winning the lost for, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ? Notice what the scripture says in Romans 10 and 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But, 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 but notice what the next verse says. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen, there are 32,689 people within a 10 mile radius of this church and many of them do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. What are they waiting on? They are waiting on somebody that will come and preach to them. They are waiting on somebody who will come and give them a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, Summerton Church of God, if we will do our part and share the gospel with them, then God will do his part that only he can do and that is that he will save them and he will heal them and he will deliver them for his glory amen so God doesn't need anything but he decided to need you and me which brings me to the last point this morning and that is this have you decided to need God are you hearing me this morning have you decided to need God? And I'm not just talking about in salvation. Absolutely. If we want to be saved, we go to God in prayer. Absolutely, if we want to be saved, we have to put our faith and our trust in what His Son Jesus did for us at the cross. You know, there's a lot of people that would say back in the beginning when Adam fell, that it was unfair that because of one man's sin, the whole world was then condemned to death. Now, you may not admit it, but you've probably thought that's a little bit unfair. That one man sinned, and the whole world now has been condemned to death. And we think about that, and we think it's unfair, but listen to me, it really wasn't unfair. It was genius on God's part. Because where it was all lost by one man, one man got it all back. And that man's name is Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. Now, I, I know I have a little bit of an imagination. But I, I can think, again, going back to that story of David and Goliath. You know, sometimes I think maybe God and Satan had a conversation something like this. That Satan went to God and, and told God, you know, Send me a man. If I win, then everybody becomes my slaves, my servants. If you win, then everybody belongs to you. God thought about it for just a second and said, okay, I'll send Jesus. Satan like, no, 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 no. I said a man. Well, we'll just make a man out of him, God says. And Jesus comes here to this earth, lives a perfect, sinless life, goes to the cross and pays a price that only he could pay, and wins the victory for every 
person on the face of the earth. I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, watch it now. You're getting into that universalism. You're getting into that ultimate reconciliation where, Pastor, do you believe that eventually everybody's going to get saved? No, 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 no. Don't forget what we're talking about today. That's God's part. But now there's our part. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Yeah, God's done his part. There's nothing more that God can do to save anybody. The price has already been paid. Everything has already been done. God has done his part. So all that God is waiting on is for you and I to do our part. A few little things right here, and then we're going to close. If the team will go ahead and come and get ready to close us this morning. Number one, here's what you need to know about your part. And coming to God and letting God do what only God can do and you doing what you can do. Number one, you need to understand that God is never going to do your part. You got that? God is never going to do your part. God will do his part, but you have to do your part. The price of salvation has already been paid. God's done his part. Now you've got to do your part to believe and to receive that. God will never do your part. Here's the second thing. Our part is never supernatural. I don't care what any other preacher, teacher, or televangelist will tell you. You are not supernatural. But you are partnered with somebody who is supernatural amen your part is to do what you can do and then God will do what you can't God will do what only God can do think about think about Moses when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt all Moses had to do when they came to the Red Sea all Moses had to do was to stand there and hold a rod in his hand God that's what God told him to do you lift up the rod over the waters I want to just tell you something right now. I could do that. You could do that. So Moses did what Moses could do, and then God did what only God could do. And he parted the waters of the Red Sea. Listen, that's a load lifted right there. To know that all you've got to do is your part And then God does his part. And here's the cool thing. God's already done his part. He's just waiting on you to do your part now so that what he's done can be released into your life. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians that that, that we have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us, has been brought to us through Christ Jesus. Everything, everything that you need in your life spiritually, physically, relationally, financially. Everything you need, God has provided for it. But I wonder like in Mark 6 when Jesus went to Nazareth, I wonder how many great things has God not been able to release into your life because of your lack of faith and not doing your part. And then here's the last thing. God is waiting for you to do your part. Because like I said, he's already done his. We love him because the Bible says he first loved us. You see, God took the first step. 
But now the ball's in our corner, in our court. It's our move. And so I'm asking you this morning, and not, not just as it relates to salvation, but are you ready to choose God, to let God help you no matter what it is that you're going through today? Maybe some of you would say, because here's what I believe. Some of you may be struggling in your marriage today. And God is saying, well, I'm just waiting for you to do your part. If you'll, if you'll just do what I have already instructed you to do in my word, then your marriage will be what I purposed it to be and what you long for it to be. Financially, did you know here's what God said? God said our part, he says, bring all the tithe. Yes, I'm going there this morning. But he says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, talking about the house of God. Bring your tithe and your offerings. And then he says, when you do your part, then the blessings will be released. He said, because here's what I'm going to do. God said, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and I'm going to pour you out a blessing. So I'm not just talking about going to God to get started on this journey. I'm talking about going to God and allowing Him to sustain you every day throughout this journey. Because I'm telling you, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're going to face some kind of a situation and you're going to face some kind of a circumstance where you're going to have to decide all over again, am I going to let God do His part? by first doing my part.